electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. Homes.com knows that when it comes to home shopping, it's never just about the house or condo. It's about the home. And what makes a home is more than just the house or property. It's the location and neighborhood. If you have kids, it's also schools, nearby parks, and transportation options. That's why Homes.com goes above and beyond to bring home shoppers the in-depth information they need to find the right home. And when I say in-depth, I'm talking deep. Each listing features comprehensive information about the neighborhood, complete with a video guide. They also have details about local schools with test scores, state rankings, and student-to-teacher ratio. They even have an agent directory with the sales history of each agent. So when it comes to finding a home, not just a house, this is everything you need to know, all in one place. Homes.com. We've done your homework. And welcome to the CNBC special Taking Stock. I am Brian Sullivan. Jim is off all week. We'll see you every night at 6 o'clock tonight. A deep dive into technology. The sector hit hard again today. What's new? It's been a big theme all year. What everyone seemed to love last year, now tossed away this year. Seven big tech companies, Amazon, Alphabet, Microsoft, Tesla, Meta, and NVIDIA, have lost about $5 trillion in combined investor net worth this year. The entire American market down more than $10 trillion tonight. We are tackling some of tech's troubles and the opportunities in the year ahead from a number of key angles. We're going to talk Elon Musk. Yeah, a brilliant businessman, but whose buyout of Twitter may be slamming Tesla investors? Then, from not enough to too much, how the world's most important technology completely flipped on its head. Is TikTok toast? Will Congress ban the app over security fears? And then, why this year was a year to forget for initial public offerings. There is so much ahead on the tech table in the next hour. But before we all sit up and dig in, let it set it up with your money. And another tough day on the street of dreams. The Nasdaq down 1.3%. 92 of the Nasdaq 100 falling today. Adding to more losses to a dreadful year for tech and most of the market. Tech on pace for its worst performance since 2008. And now down 10% just this quarter. Speaking of a quarter, Apple investors not immune. The world's biggest company has now drained more than a quarter of its value this year and hitting a new year low again today. And it matters to everything. Apple is in more than 400 different ETFs. It is obviously the top holding in many more. So when Apple goes down, it is hard, maybe if not impossible, for the rest of the market to rise simply due to market mechanics. So what exactly is going on with Apple kind of once thought to be immune to macro downturns. Steve Kovac covers the company for us, and he joins us now. Steve. 
Hey there, Brian. Yeah, Apple is, by the way, also on pace for its worst year since 2008, and we all know what happened that year. So look, the big concern around Apple now in the near term, how bad were iPhone sales this quarter after Apple warned they missed expectations due to those COVID lockdowns and protests in China? And will demand hold over into next quarter, or will we plunge into a recession and consumer spending dries up before they can get a new phone? We're going to learn a lot from Apple's next earnings report in six weeks or so from now. Meanwhile, China's reopening that we heard about is causing COVID cases to surge in the country. And if things get worse, that could take more workers out of Apple's supply chain. And we saw this year expanding productions to countries like India can help, but it's not going to help enough. On the product side, though, some things for investors to watch in 2023, new fintech products like Apple Pay Later. And by the way, that rumored augmented reality headset. But it's not all doom and gloom as big tech sells off, Brian, of the tech names with a market cap of $50 billion or more, there's one that stands out. IBM is up almost 5% this year. Wait, hold up. <laughs> I thought you just said that IBM yeah, ever was heard up of it? Fi- Big blue. Wait, I, I be, what is IBM? What are they now? <laughs> IBM is the best performing major tech stock yeah. in America. I think that is, dare I say, random but interesting, Steve. Yes. Who is IBM. They don't make mainframes anymore. What are they? they? Well, they still make some mainframes, oh, Brian. Some? Okay. But you can you can joke and say they're a cash flow machine, a dividend paying machine. One and a half billion dollars in dividends, and what was it? Seven hundred fifty-two million uh, in ca- free cash flow. So that is attractive as people look for value to invest in over growth. It is not a growth company. And then they've been uh, Arvind Krishna, since taking over as CEO from Ginny Remedy, has been really working on this hybrid cloud thing. So we know what the cloud is. We we know what on-premise mainframes is. He's bridging the gap in between those and, and being a, making a flexible product for their businesses and their clients. So they've taken a different approach under this new leadership, and it's uh, been a real big uh, win for value investors this year. Uh, IBM. Big yeah. Blue is back, baby, at it least is this back, year. At least Steve. for this year. Yeah, and apparently they still make mainframes. I learned yeah. something, and that's a, that's a good day anytime you can learn something. Steve Kovac, thank you. Thanks, Brian. All right, so overall tech has been wrecked this year. We get it. You get it. You've heard it every day on this network. But if you are a long-term investor and you think that stocks will ultimately rise again, don't you want to buy low? One of your next guests says tech could be up roughly 20% this time next year. Let's bring in to discuss Dan Ives, Managing Director of Equity Research at Wedbush, and Gene Munster, Managing Partner at Loop Ventures. Dan, I'll start with you because you're on set. Good to see you, by the way. And you're wearing a blue coat. It's perfect. If I had said to you, IBM was going to be the best performing technology stock this year. You probably would have asked me what was in my coffee besides cream. Are you surprised by just overall how the whole year has played out? Yeah, it's been a horror show. I mean, it's really been a nightmare in Elm Street. Horror show's a little light, a little soft. I mean, take, take your worst horror show and just keep watching. Because really, for tech investors, I mean, it's the perfect storm. Because ultimately, what you've seen with the Fed and risk-off assets and you've seen multiples compressed across the board. And now sort of the next leg is a softening in terms of the demand picture globally. And I, look, what I would say is that I do believe that right now tech stocks are baking in a lot of bad news. And my view, you know, just doing this for decades, I feel like it has overshot. Now we ultimately need to see the decks cleared on numbers for 2023 yeah. and have some sort of what I believe, you know, in terms of fundamentals and sentiment start to at least rebound in terms of what we're seeing going to next year. Gene, if we were sitting around having a beer and you said to me, okay, a 4% interest rate hike is going to, it's going to hurt housing, I'd say, okay. 
It's going to hurt the auto market. I'd say, yeah, I get it. People borrow a lot of money for cars. And if you said it's going to bring down Apple or Amazon by 40 percent, I would have pushed back. Why are these technology stocks suddenly so beholden to interest rates? It's uh, just the market momentum, the market psychology. I think uh, Dan appropriately talked about it overshooting, but that is the piece that is hard to predict. That doesn't get into some sort of business school model. And that's why I think a lot of people, including myself, have missed this uh, that kind of the scope of the downturn. This predicting this market is part fundamentals, part uh, first uh, operations of what's happening with interest rates. There's derivative effects, uh, obviously, with what's happening with China and the reopening. But at the the third piece, too, is this psychological piece, which brings up the question uh, of when is this downtrend going to end, especially with tech. This negative momentum, this recent uh, downdraft with Apple, I think, really spooks people across the board. Uh, I agree with the thought. We just need a flush out. We need this moment where everybody says this is really bad. And that's probably where the bottom starts. Do you think that's coming that there is some? I mean, haven't we had the flush? Well, we haven't. I mean, it it can get really bad. And I think when it comes to the guidance for the Mm. March quarter, I think more broadly across big tech, uh, it's going to be the the word that we've been using is messy. And what that means is there's probably going to be some downward revisions. I'm reluctant because we're not macro uh, investors here. I'm reluctant to uh, do the call the bottom here. But my sense is I have a strong sense that we're going to end 2023. The Nasdaq is going to be higher than it is at the beginning of the year. So I feel good about that. What the, the, the timing of that bottom is, I think if you're going to ask me, I just need to guess what's that best timing. I think it's probably post this earnings. Uh, and uh, I think the best thing that can happen to the market is because there's this psychological game that's playing. I think the best thing is that these companies can try to put some sort of rails around it mm-hmm. and give some negative guidance. Yeah. And look, I mean, my view, I think a lot of what Gene hits on is, is super accurate. I ultimately believe right now it's as underown as I've seen tech going back to 2009. And, and I think ultimately, what does that mean? Underown? What that means, institutionally speaking, tech investors that I've talked to, you know, going back to dot com bubble and burst basically own as little tech as I've seen. And really, from a sentiment perspective, it's as bad going back to the days of 2009. Well, what the heck happened? It, it was overowned. Last year, I could have gotten people on this show, but well, Brian, it's overowned. Twelve months ago, now it's underowned. Well, I think ultimately, if you look at what the Fed's done with the foot on the pedal in terms of what's happened with rates, you've basically seen, as you can talk about, a risk off that that I would really call a tidal wave risk off market. But ultimately, when I look at names like Apple. I look at names like Amazon. You look at names like Microsoft in terms of cloud. I think we sit here a year from now, tech stocks are yeah. up 20%. Yep. And, th- and that's why we don't feel that now is the time to throw in the towel. You know, Gene, the first time I got on TV doing this, I, first off, I was horrible. Some would say I still am. But it was 1998. The market promptly collapsed two years later. Then 2007 rolls around. The market promptly collapsed from 2008 to 2009. And in each of those times, and I'm trying, there's a reason I'm bringing this up, is to be a little more optimistic heading into the new year. In each of those times, it was grim. I mean, people were calling for disaster. And by the way, companies went out of business, hedge funds blew up, and people got crushed, not minimizing it. But if you had put money into some of these big stocks back then, twice, I'm not saying you'd be rich now, but you'd be up. Is this that kind of opportunity longer term again? 
I think it is. And when I say longer term, I think in the 2024. And I would just emphasize this piece. We've had this 48% down with FANG this year. Most of that is because of multiple compression on the psychology of the market. Some of it, in the case of Meta, for example, earnings have come down. But I think that the key here is that the fundamentals of these businesses remain solid. And ultimately, these are generational companies. And so I think uh, it is not invest in uh, tech more broadly and you're going to do well over the next two years. I think you have to pick your spots. And I think that this is one of those opportunities. Again, I don't think we're at the bottom. I'm not trying to be cute, but I, I, I think we're going to have an mm. op opportunity. Our fund is 50% in cash. If we thought we we're at the bottom, we'd be deploying today. We're waiting for that uh, messy. You are waiting. We're waiting for the messy quarter. But I think to your question is, you know, this is where we're, we want to optimize our performance. So that's why we're waiting. But I think if you have that view of, of uh, six, 12 months out, I would just point one other piece out there. It's really hard to be positive on tech right now. And you feel like you're missing something. You feel like you're not getting the joke. And uh, I, every, well, every dip you've bought into this year, you've gotten your face ripped off. Correct. And you just don't, it's hard to uh, predict a bottom yeah. on it. And so you just don't want to do that. I'm kind of doing the math here real time, Dan. I've never had the conversation with you, but I'm guessing we probably hit the ground running about the same, uh, probably all three of us. And yeah. I started in the business in kind of the mid 90s. Uh, but uh, my, this does feel, this does have that same feel as those periods that you. That, that late 2000, that early 01, late 08 feel. Okay. I mean, at least to me, yeah. but that's just, maybe we still have shell shock from that time. Well, give us an opportunity. Opportunity, Dan. We got to go quickly, but tell us what to buy. Well, I mean, I, I would be in terms of my favorites. Apple continues to be our favorite here in terms of the demand story that I believe holds up. Microsoft continues to be the core way to play the cloud. And I think Palo Alto in terms of cybersecurity is a table pounder. Right now, New York City cab drivers bearish on tech. We believe now is ultimately not the time to, to, to really get nervous. I think it's sort of steady hands, and we believe tech's up significantly into this next year. Okay, it's feeling like 99 if you're dropping the New York City taxi driver analogy, but metaphor, but I like it. Dan, we'll see you in a few minutes. Thank you. Gene Munster, good stuff. Wait for Thank that messy time, time then deploy the cash. We may not be at the bottom. Good lesson. All right. All right, one block down, as we call it. Many more to go. Here's what's coming up on this CNBC special report. Coming up, the government setting its sights on TikTok. The latest tech company in Washington's crosshairs is a full ban in the cards. Plus, Tesla's on pace for its worst year ever. Is Elon Musk's reputation in jeopardy? And later, how a chip shortage has turned into a chip glut. The founder of Cypress Semiconductor weighs in. That and more when we return. Take your business further with the smart and flexible American Express Business Gold Card. It's packed with benefits to help unlock more value from your business purchases. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash businessgoldcard. Fact. Running a business is not getting easier on your wallet. With higher expenses on materials, employees, distribution, and borrowing, everything costs more. Also a fact. Smart businesses are reducing costs and headaches by graduating to NetSuite by Oracle. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system, bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, and HR into one platform and one source of truth. With NetSuite, you reduce IT costs because NetSuite lives in the cloud with no hardware required. Accessed from anywhere, you can cut the cost of maintaining multiple systems because you've got one unified business management suite. 
You improve efficiency by bringing all your major business processes into one platform, slashing manual tasks and errors. Over 37,000 companies have already made the move. See how you'll profit with NetSuite, and then you can think of all the ways you could be spending the money you save. Company retreat in Malibu, anyone? By popular demand, NetSuite is offering a one-of-a-kind flexible financing program for a few more weeks. Head to NetSuite.com to start saving. All right, welcome back to the CNBC special, Taking Stock 2023, the tech edition. And the clock may be running out on TikTok. As of this week, the app is now banned on all devices issued by the House of Representatives. And a provision in the new spending bill would remove it from all government devices. Earlier this month, Senator Marco Rubio proposed legislation to ban the app from the United States entirely. Meaning, you have it on your phone one day, you're an influencer with a million followers, whatever. The next day, it's gone. Joining us now to talk TikTok and other tech companies that are facing government scrutiny is former FTC Commissioner Moselle Thompson. Moselle, good to have you back on. It seems hard to believe. I think it's the most popular social media app by a large margin, maybe, maybe second to Instagram. Who knows? Is there a chance that it vanishes? Well, I think that it'd be difficult for the government to ban it entirely. Um, there's one thing about banning it from government devices, because the government owns those devices and has supposedly has control over those devices. But for the entire public, I could see there'd be some substantial legal challenges. Now, from what I understand, the administration is in ongoing discussions about how to, um, how to protect the uh, data of Americans from possible intrusion and uh, and uh, use by the Chinese government. But they're still in those talks. They have been for a while. We'll see how that turns out. I think that they're concerned about what the legal ramifications are if, uh, if it's not a negotiation settlement. Would a settlement include moving the server? Let's say you're TikTok. You don't want to go away in America. You're based in China. Why not just move all of your servers to the United States Get them out of because that's the concern. The concern for people who don't get it, it's very simple. TikTok is a live microphone and live camera, and it takes your phone's data and theoretically sends it back to China, which every company we know has a quote special partner, which is the Communist Party. It's like a live camera in everybody's house in the United States. That's a little bit weird, but you get it. Is there, I mean, could they just move it to the US and end it? Well, I think that's part of it. Part of it is where the firewall is so that you could move something to the United States. But if there's a clear pipeline that goes back to China or China can access that information whenever it wants to or uh, in ways that are surreptitious, that would pose a problem for American users and for security interests of the U.S. So I think it's a little more than just the location of the data and where it's collected, it's, un- it's the circumstances under which someone else can get access to it as well. There is so much legislation that is kind of either currently working its way, I'm just a bill type thing through Congress or is on somebody's bench. They've all got typical D.C. names, Moselle, American Innovation and Choice Online Act, the Open Markets Act, which probably means it's not, the American Data Privacy Act, the Protect Speech Act, the Protecting Speech from Government Interference Act. What are those and what are they going to do? Which one do we need to be nervous about? Well, it's interesting. Um, I think that you're right. There are a lot of them that are on the books 
and they're at various stages of development. What's interesting is though there's been a lot of talk, there's also been a lot of internal um, uh, discussion. In other words, it's not been 100% pro or con on both sides of the aisle and in both houses. So you notice that none of them has been none of them have been passed, and most people predict what's coming next year is going to be even more gridlock to the extent that um, there are closer margins between the interest in the House and the Senate, and you have two different parties mm-hmm. controlling two different se- uh, segments of the government. So I think that most people think that the things that will that will wind up in actual legislation are going to be. Uh, Hard to come by, especially the ones that are dealing with antitrust, things that deal with um, larger market regulation, like uh, like um, things dealing with content censorship, yeah. et cetera. But where you might get something, it's there's some common understanding about the baselines of privacy, especially when it deals with children. And that's where you f- might find some greater consensus. Let's hope. Let's hope that would be a bipartisan <laughs> Keeping our children safe online act. It shouldn't be hard. That's it. You think so. You think so. Well, you never know. Moselle Thompson, have a great new year. Thanks for joining us on the special. Be well. My pleasure. All right. All right, folks. You might not have heard, but Tesla stock is having its worst year ever. Up next, we're going to break down Elon Musk's Twitter takeover, the turbulence at Tesla, and how one of the world's richest men, previously the richest person, Lost more than $100 billion this year. Plus, we're going to get random but interesting on Tesla. And the main single main reason you think the stock is in the tank and the answer may surprise you. And as we had to break, let's get a look back on a year to maybe forget. Here are the biggest dogs, not of the Dow, but of the NASDAQ 100. And by the way, everyone's picking on Tesla. The single two worst stocks in the NASDAQ 100 this year are Rivian and Lucid, both of them Tesla electric vehicle competitors. Is the market telling us something about EVs? We're back right after this. I won't let my moderate to severe plaque psoriasis symptoms define me. Emerge as you. In two clinical studies, Trimphia guselcumab, taken by injection, provided 90% clear skin at 16 weeks in 7 out of 10 adults with moderate to severe plaque psoriasis. In a study, nearly 7 out of 10 patients with 90% clear skin at 16 weeks were still clear at 5 years. At 1 year and thereafter, patients and healthcare providers knew that Trimphia was being used. This may have increased results. Results may vary. Serious allergic reactions may occur. Trimphia may increase your risk of infections and lower your ability to fight them. Before treatment, your doctor should check you for infections and tuberculosis. Tell your doctor if you have an infection or symptoms of infection, including fever, sweats, chills, muscle aches, or cough. Tell your doctor if you had a vaccine or plan to. Emerge as you. Learn more about Tremphia, including important safety information, at Tremphia.com or call 1-877-578-3527. See our ad in Food & Wine magazine. For patients prescribed Tremphia, cost support may be available. All right, welcome back. Well, despite being a super billionaire and also being the world's richest man for much of the year, some say it's been a rough year for old Elon Musk, relatively speaking, of course, because with Tesla's stock plunge and all the heat that he's taking over his Twitter takeover, along with some rather odd tweets, some say Musk may finally be maxed out. So what happens ahead for arguably the world's 
most closely watched CEO and also Tesla, his, his baby. Let's bring in Jim Stewart, columnist for The New York Times and a CNBC contributor and Hope King business reporter at Axios. Jim, you've been studying companies and management for some time. I don't I think it's is it hyperbole to say there has never been a founder like him in maybe both good and troubling ways? You're right. I, in all my uh, decades of being a reporter and having met many, many CEOs and founders, there's no one quite like Musk. And having met him a few times and interviewed him on the phone, you never quite know what Musk you're going to get. I mean, I have to say my first meeting with him, he could not have been more charming or reasonable, more down to earth, more saying all the right things. And then Another time, he was in tears on the phone and it seemed completely out of control. It was like I could hardly believe it was the same person. But we've seen the extremes of his behavior, the genius, the mania, the impetuous behavior, the mature decisions, the childish ones. I mean, he, he is coming into a little more focus, but I totally agree. There's been no one like him. Yeah, and Hope, I think you make a good point. And you've made this point before, which is it's, it's bizarre. And we're, you know, the media is to blame as well. We sort of act like Tesla's this new company. I drove a Tesla, I think it was in 2008, when it was the old Lotus back in California. This is not a new company. You know, it's not 100 years old like GM and Ford. I get it. But we're still debating Tesla and Musk like, like it's like a year-old startup. Right, Hope? This is not the case. <laughs> well, Actually, hold on, Jim. Let, let Hope go. I want to hear your take, yeah, Jim. Let ahead. Hope go, and then we'll go to Jim. Uh, I'm glad you brought that up, Brian. I was actually thinking about this exact context uh, today in preparation for our conversation. And, uh, you know, given all the attention that uh, what I said yesterday on Squawk Boxes, I have to be careful here, depending on how this is clipped. Uh, but you're right. I mean, we watched Tesla grow up right over the past 20 years. We we did not have the luxury, have not of watching a GM grow up and a Ford grow up. So I think a lot of us, uh, because we have seen it uh, firsthand and experienced it firsthand, feel like we have the ability to weigh in and to have a, a perspective on it <laughs> that, that matters. And I think that's why you're seeing that, you know, the retail interest, the way uh, investors have been investing stock. So uh, I love that you brought it up. I think it's an important context to bring up here. It's why, you know, we are by the way, on your show today, Brian, I mean, it would not be a tech company or it is a tech company because you're in your in your tech roundup today. So I think that answers the question. I'm just curious what happened on Squawk. I missed the show, Jim. Now my interest is peaked. But I but I think <laughs> I think, Jim, you get my point on Musk. He's not 28. This is not a new company. They should know what's going on by now. No. And, you know, also, I think given the, the passage of time, there has been a real both generational and sea change in how Musk is viewed. I mean, in the early days, you know, everybody, everybody loved Musk. I mean, nobody knew Musk all that well, but they loved what he was doing and they loved the product. I mean, and the, the whole idea that we have these sort of sclerotic, you know, legacy auto companies that were kind of doing electric vehicles, but they didn't really want to change the universe. And he came out of left field with this incredible product, this envision that people said couldn't be done, and he was succeeding. So, you know, I, especially many of my age group peers, you know, he was, he was a hero. But yeah. now a time has passed with this erratic behavior, these controversial political um, sort of libertarian, kind of some of them off-the-wall views. I, at Thanksgiving, I was with my nephew, who's a junior at the University of Texas and a, and a computer science major. 
and he and his peers have completely turned against him. Musk, I said, I, I thought I might like to buy a Tesla. He said, oh, no, 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 no. Nobody wants to buy a Tesla anymore. They have, that group seems to have completely turned against him. And that's in Austin, where Tesla is now based, Jim. So, Hope, before I go back to you, uh, I want to go back to that, Jim. Take us into that thinking. What? I understand he's had some controversial tweets. Some people find offensive, whatever they may be, ultra-libertarian to the point of being uh, offensive to some. But what was your nephew's bigger point then, that this is not a political view they can get along with? Well, and it, it goes well, to the product? The, he didn't really take issue with the politics so much. I think... Certainly, um, a certain amount of hypocrisy from from Musk has has graded with this uh, with this generation. I mean, here he is claiming to be the champion of free speech, and then he bans journalists. He bans somebody who wants to track where his plane is. Um, now, admittedly, he he put them back on, but this is just this is rank hypocrisy. Um, when it's it, it suits his whim, he seems to be for free speech. But when it doesn't, he isn't, and I think that's. That's very troubling to people who are still younger and more idealistic. It's fair enough. I do wonder, though, Hope, if that uh, we get certain takes on certain sides, that if Musk maybe has picked up as many fans as he lost, I have no way of knowing. I guess the numbers will ultimately bear themselves out. But this is like the story, I feel like, to Jim's point, where you had this underdog going against the evil big three car companies. I don't mean evil. I mean that metaphorically, you know, like sort of Star Wars-ish. Now he's the boss, you know, and it's, we see this in so many different industries where the person who goes from underdog, they go from David to Goliath, doesn't matter who they are. Ultimately, people want to bring Goliath down. I don't know. Yeah, he's, he's a huge target. Uh, you know, any major uh, media organization is a, I mean, is a huge target. I mean, any, anybody really, any organization that has a big audience uh, becomes a huge target. But I think one thing that we have to remember for, for those that are looking at Tesla from a long-term perspective is that, you know, they dropped motors from their name in 2017. Tesla's mission, Elon's vision has always been much greater than just automobiles. They started out you know, as as that car company, but now with solar power uh, products, uh, you know, for the home, for rooftops. I mean, if if Elon is able to innovate more in in this, these directions, uh, they still have a leg up against all these other car companies because those car car companies are, yeah. are selling just one product, just the car. And uh, Jim, to, to wrap it up, I mean, I'm not. I don't want to compare the two directly, but not a lot of people like Steve Jobs, did they? I mean, he was he could be highly offensive, highly irascible, whatever term you want to use. You got maybe you got to be that way. But his public image was very carefully crafted and nurtured. Steve Jobs was not out there making, you know, he wasn't smoking uh, weed on Joe Rogan. Steve Jobs, you know, it wasn't overtly political. I mean, you have Musk now running a media platform in Twitter and you don't, you, you know, the heads of consumer-facing consumer products who want to appeal to every possible buyer. Um, I mean, true, Bezos is in the Washington Post, but a prescription for broadening your market is not to be intensely scrutinized by the media and to making pronouncements constantly, many of them controversial, that are bound to alienate a large swath of your possible customer base. I think Musk is more the face of Tesla than, than Steve Jobs yeah. ever was. In the That's fair enough. I mean, a- absolutely fair. And, you know, I, I do wonder, given 
all the companies, nine <clears throat> whatever kids. It's like the movie Prestige. I don't want to ruin it. Ultimately, <laughs> you find out there's more than one Musk. I, I don't know how else they can do it. Jim Great and Hope. movie. <laughs> yeah, I hope I did. It's 20-year statute of limitations on ruining the movie, Hope, right? <laughs> hope and Jim, yeah, thank you very much. You just wonder if there's how many Elons are there. All right. It is poll time, so we just talked about it, but we always want to know what you see as the biggest issue facing Tesla right now, with shares getting crushed lately. So what better way than a Twitter poll? We, we asked, which ironically is owned by Elon Musk, what is the single biggest reason that Tesla stock has gotten crushed? Is it more EV competition? Is it Musk's reputational issues? Is it stock sales to buy Twitter, right, which is raising money? Or is it the broader economy and interest rates? We had that question up for about five hours. We will reveal the results of that poll a bit later on in the show. All right. And we've got a whole lot more ahead on this CNBC special, Taking Stock. Coming up, semiconductor stocks have been rocked in 2022. And now the industry may be facing something that was unthinkable a year ago, a chip glut. We'll explain why. And IP, oh no. After a dismal year to go public, which name should be on your radar for 2023? A top VC weighs in. More to come on CNBC. All right, welcome back to the CNBC special. If you're just joining us and didn't check out the market all day, maybe that was the smart move. Because here's a look at how we wrap up the day on Wall Street. Just not another good session at all. A lot of red on the screen across the board. All the major indexes down another 1% plus. And check out some of the sector moves inside of this overall market. Now for this year, communication services really led by Facebook slash Meta. That's the worst. Netflix also a drag on that group. Consumer discretionary, it's down big this year. Tesla, you might have heard about that company. And Amazon, they're leading the declines there. Tech overall, it's down around 30%. So you've lost about a third of your value if you bought a year ago and held on. And there's big declines for things like AMD and NVIDIA, the semiconductor stocks. And let's stay there because it was from famine to feast. And no, we are not talking about the social media chatter around Elon Musk. We are talking about semiconductors arguably one of the world's most important pieces of technology. Because if you remember just one year ago, all we talked about was chip shortages. Couldn't get this, couldn't get that. But oh, what a difference a year makes, because now apparently there are too many semiconductors floating around, at least in some markets. Christina Partsenevelos has a look at how we got here in this major U-turn, Christina. Yeah, Brian, like you said, it just feels like yesterday I was reporting about companies suffering from massive chip shortages. And then you fast forward to literally today and we're stuck in this conversation about a glut with piling inventory levels across several markets. A problem that's actually reflected in the SMH ETF right now. It's a barometer for the sector, so we often talk about it. It's tracking for its fourth straight week of losses and its worst year since the great financial crisis in 2008. So how did we go from a shortage to a glut in less than two years? 
Well, here's a little bit of a history. So back in March 2020, automakers canceled their chip orders, assuming people wouldn't buy cars as they stayed home in lockdown. But unexpectedly, people bought in droves. So automakers scrambled to resubmit their orders. But the chip makers, like TSMC or Intel, had already diverted their production to other uses, like PCs and smartphones, as everyone upgraded their equipment to work from home. That's where I am right now. Demand for electronics surged, helping firms like Broadcom, NVIDIA, and equipment makers like ASML and KLA. And due to limited foundry capacity throughout 2021 and the first half of 2022, and of course, scarred from all that shortage conversation, many fabulous semiconductor firms like Marvell, AMD, agreed to higher purchase prices to ensure that they get their chip orders in time. And then you fast forward to now, the industry is faced with softening end demand and higher inventories. Micron warned of just that problem last week and said they don't expect demand to pick up until the second half of next year. While other firms like Corvo have had to write down millions in inventory, Brian. So that's where we are right now. You have this market where there's this massive glut with the exception of maybe a few automakers. That's it. Let's talk more about it. Christina Parts and Evels, thank you very much. Now we're going to bring in T.J. Rogers, founder and former CEO of Cypress Semiconductor, also a guy that's not afraid to speak his mind, which we love. T.J., what happened? I mean, to Christina's excellent report, I mean, if you were running Cypress these days, how would you have managed this insane last 24 months? Well, <clears throat> the report was, was right on. But, you know, in physics terms... <clears throat> What she really said is, well, you have this pendulum, and if you pull it off to one side, then gravity is pulling back on it, and it will pull the pendulum back, and when it gets back to the middle, it will be moving, which will cause it to continue to move up to the other side. And she's describing a cycle that I am so personally happy I don't have to deal with anymore. Uh, You know, I'm in batteries and green energy now, and and everybody needs energy all the time. (laughs) But but it's absolutely right. The, the, The... if you ask what is the fundamental problem, simple. It takes uh, two years to three or even four years to build a chip plant. So somebody says, oh, my God, you know, we shut down our, our Steubenville, Ohio plant because we don't have chips. Uh, by the time they get the plant built, then then that re- you're in the next recession and the plant shows up at exactly the wrong time. So all this government stuff they did, it was idiotic, idiotic to begin with. And now they're building a bunch of plants and giving away a bunch of money to some of the richest companies in the world so they can build plants that will show up right in the middle of a glut of chips and drive the prices down farther. But, but TJ, don't we need to eliminate this constant, well, I shouldn't say constant, but COVID was clearly exposed, our reliance on this China supply chain? I mean, can we be tied to them so closely that if there's something else that happens— for lack of a better term, we're, we're, we're screwed. Uh, okay, uh, that's a good point. But uh, you have to view it, you have to talk about it differently from, from the first point. China, uh, in terms of making chips, is never is a don't care. Uh, they got a couple companies that don't matter. And the reason is all their chi- chip companies have been funded by the government since time zero. They're all on the government tip, and they can't get off of it and they can't get competitive. The American semiconductor industry, Silicon Valley, was a viciously competitive place. We got no money from the government. 
You knew well when you ran a company, if you didn't have money and you couldn't survive the next recession, you were going to die. And it is that hardiness and toughness that, that brought our chip industry to the forefront, brought up all kinds mm. of different chips that have value added. So the government is, is not the solution here at yeah. all. Now, having said that, the Chinese don't play fair. Uh, they haven't played fair for years. They steal patents. They, they, I've heard so many stories from CEOs where the guy said, I, I went there and I saw my reactor. I looked at something that looked exactly like something in my plant. So they have to get smacked upside the head. Yeah. Uh, you know, Donald Trump started it. Uh, you know, one of the Biden and Trump agree on zero, except for China needs to get smacked upside the head. And they're both both doing it. So. Uh, yeah, we have to do that, but that's not a chip thing. Uh, our, yeah. our chip industry is fine. We, we make what we need. We make the things that matter, and we buy the rest. Chips, you know, well, I, I started in chips in, in 1970. They're a commodity now. Uh, I, I gave a talk. I gave a talk at a venture capital thing, and I, I talked about culture and companies yeah. and how it was. And when I after the talk, I went to the bathroom, and, and there were four women standing around it. And, and, and I heard him when I walked around the corner. Can you believe it? Did you see what a great talk that old chip guy gave? Old chip. And, and, and the old chip guy. That's so the, the point is, uh, these values are fundamental. The, the market organizes itself. Just ask, ask Adam Smith, and he'll tell you how things make it into Edinburgh, how things that get ordered and show up on the shelves. And no government has to help out because that yeah. self-organizing principle is a free market. Well, we, 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 chips. We, we like it because you're, you're rocking the farming metaphors, talking about the semiconductor industry. TJ, happy new year. It's good to have you on about a tough issue. TJ Rogers, thank you very much. Thank you. All right, coming up, we asked that you answer the biggest problem facing Tesla right now is, we'll tell you, coming up. All right, welcome back. Let's bring you the most random but interesting thing you may hear all day. CNBC style, it called the RBI, and tonight it's all about you and what you think the biggest problem is facing Tesla right now. Because you know it has lost more than half its value this quarter and nearly 70% this year. So we put out a poll, ironically enough, on Twitter, and we asked you, Tesla's single biggest issue recently is what? And yes, we know it's not one thing, it's a combination of things, but if you had to pinpoint and pick one thing, is it more competition, reputational problems, the fact that there's more sales of Tesla stock to pay for Twitter, or four, just the overall economy and rates? Here's how you responded. It was close. But in the end, you said the top issue is Musk's Reputational issue, just over 32%. A very close second was the macroeconomy and rates. That was followed by stock sales. And surprisingly, at least to me, more competition came in last at just over 17% of respondents. Nobody cares. I would have picked macroeconomy first and competition second. Dan Ives, thanks for sticking around. Obviously, I was way off. But do you agree with that? How would you have voted? Uh, That's exactly how I would have voted. I mean, Musk is Tesla. Tesla is Musk. It's been a black eye moment. Is that fair? I mean, I think ultimately 70% of the sell-off that we've seen in Tesla stock is Musk Twitter driven. And that's why it's been a black eye for Musk, a black eye for Tesla. And that's a big part of the frustration here is that you're talking about in the EV world. I mean, it's really been Tesla's yeah. world, everyone else paying rent. And now Musk, self-inflicted, he starred the five-alarm fire. He's the only one that could extinguish it. Well, let's, let's see if he does work toward Dan, thanks for sticking Thank around on the poll. Appreciate it. 
All right, it's not just the publicly traded tech giants feeling the pain this year. Delivery startup Instacart reportedly slashing its internal valuation by another 20%. We'll talk about that and the overall VC market coming up next. All right, welcome back. Delivery company Instacart reportedly slashing its internal valuation again for $10 billion. All that had been expected public listing next year. Keep in mind that Instacart had an internal valuation of $39 billion last year. This on the heels of a brutal year for IPOs, the whole global IPO funding, fundraising rather, down 68% from last year, according to Fortune. Let's bring in venture capitalist Bill Tai, co-founder and chairman of Treasure Data, also the first seed backer of Zoom. So it's clearly still a win. And I, and I bring that up, Bill, and welcome. Thanks for coming on because, yes, you, this Brian. year has been terrible. I get it. But if you bought before this year, you might actually still be up, maybe meaningfully as a startup VC person, whatever. Is a lot of what's happening this year maybe tax loss selling to reduce some of the gains you've made from the past years? You know, that is actually the case. I think uh, in 2021, it was probably pretty hard for almost anybody in tech to have tax losses. Uh, This year, obviously a different situation. And there have been some interesting buyouts that have actually produced gain. You know, I think there are probably a lot of people that had some profit in, say, the Twitter acquisition or companies like Zendesk getting rolled up by a private equity firm. And that they were not the only ones Zendesk. I think there's been dozens of companies that have been acquired in the last uh, in the last cycle. So I think uh, this year, definitely people have losses. I have plenty of losses myself. So I have been taking tax law. I've been doing my own tax law selling to offset those gains. And I think I'm not the only one doing that. I know that sounds weird to non-professional investors, but tell us how that plays in. Tell us why that this actually is a thing and maybe a big thing this year. Well, obviously, it depends on your gains. You know, so if you have a profit, uh, depending on your tax bracket, you could end up paying, you know, California state taxes, for example, you could end up paying, you know, 30 to 50 percent of the proceeds of your sales to uh, to Uncle Sam, uh, well-deserved to build roads and bridges and things like that. But if you have accumulated losses and you sell those stocks at a loss, you subtract that amount from your gain and your taxable income goes down a lot, potentially. So I think uh, anyone that has some of those uh, to offset gains is going to be doing that this year. There, and there are so many things that are down, whether they're you know super high quality companies like AMD or Zoom or some of the things that you mentioned earlier. Um, you know, they're still good companies for the long term, but booking a loss to to save a little bit off of uh, tax payments is always a good thing. Yeah. And, you know, let's not forget the Nasdaq is still up 50 percent in five years. People forget that this year has been terrible, but we're still up. But it's like 48 percent in five years. OK, that said, Bill, listen, during the pandemic, which changed so much, I know we're talking a lot about layoffs now. But I recently saw numbers on Facebook's hiring, and I was stunned. They're hiring thousands of employees a quarter. Now they're laying some of those people off. Did did Silicon Valley and and other big tech companies, they just get it wrong in parts of the pandemic? Well, you know, the, the cost structure of certain businesses, you know, whether it be a Facebook or a Google, you know, everyone can look at the public statements. The gross margins are extraordinarily high. And when those companies are ramping, 
Um, given whatever expectations they've set for Wall Street for a certain profit level, if those companies go into an updraft, it's almost hard to suppress the profit. So one of the best places to use those proceeds in companies that don't have a lot of physical product um, is to hire people, you know, because you're basically looking to find the gems in any batch of hires. And Facebook and Google and many of the tech giants here hire tens and tens of thousands of people. I think the headcount increases on a company-wide basis in some of the companies were 20 to 30% of overall headcount in kind of an 18-month period in that pandemic. And so I think we're at that point now where the profit margins are still the same in percentage terms, but the growth rate is a lot lower. And so I think it's mm-hmm. time for kind of, you know, kind of clear the decks a bit. And it's actually a good thing for the overall tech economy. I think, you know, freeing up resources for the next generation of startups is yeah. always a good thing. And that's it. Sometimes you need this flush and Silicon Valley seems to do it about every eight to 10 years. Bill Ty, a real pleasure. Have a happy new year. Thank you very much, Bill. Thank Folks, you, Brian. Thank you for joining us on the CBC special Taking Stock Tech. We'll be back with you again tomorrow night, 6 p.m. Eastern for the focus on China. See you then. Shark Tank begins right now. I won't let my moderate to severe plaque psoriasis symptoms define me. Emerge as you. In two clinical studies, Trimphia guselcumab, taken by injection, provided 90% clear skin at 16 weeks in 7 out of 10 adults with moderate to severe plaque psoriasis. In a study, nearly 7 out of 10 patients with 90% clear skin at 16 weeks were still clearer at 5 years. At one year and thereafter, patients and healthcare providers knew that Trimphia was being used. This may have increased results. Results may vary. Serious allergic reactions may occur. Trimphia may increase your risk of infections and lower your ability to fight them. Before treatment, your doctor should check you for infections and tuberculosis. Tell your doctor if you have an infection or symptoms of infection, including fever, sweats, chills, muscle aches, or cough. Tell your doctor if you had a vaccine or plan to. Emerge as you. Learn more about Tremphia, including important safety information at Tremphia.com or call 1-877-578-3527. See our ad in Food & Wine magazine. For patients prescribed Tremphia, cost support may be available. Tremphia.